mice fell in a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned. The second mouse wouldn't quit. He struggled so hard that eventually he turned that cream into butter and crawled out. Gentlemen, as of this moment, I am that second mouse. <laughs> it's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance. Now let's start the show. Step out all righty folks welcome back sorry for the the layoff here but we are Back for another episode of the Second Mouse Podcast. Um, as you can see, it's just Q and myself. Gatto is currently negotiating the closure and the breakup of Silicon Valley Bank. You know, he was expecting to receive the, the Cru de Gras, um, an, an award that was going to be given to him in France. But Biden called him back and said, look here, Jack, I need you to figure this out. And so Gatto had to fly out to the West Coast, and he's currently brokering that breakup and ultimately the sale of that company. But I'm here with Q. Q, how are you doing? Long time no see. Uh, good to be back. How are you doing? You know, just excited for another 2008 financial crisis. I figured I'd only see one um, economic meltdown in my lifetime, let alone two. And now a third comes up with this whole bullshit that's happened. So very cool, very legal stuff here. I'm starting to think that like it's going to just become like a normal event for us. Like every year now, it's just going to be like, here's <laughs> here's another bank collapse. Here's another financial crisis. It's like it's never going to get better. Yeah, so we're going to get into that tonight. We're also going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the NFL. Um, the C word is being thrown around quite liberally with the Lamar Jackson issue that's happening and why nobody apparently is willing to sign him to a contract or even engage in that conversation. Also, there is some speculation that the commandos might be sold relatively soon. But we're going to get into all to that first. But first and foremost, we're going to... Um, eat our vegetables and teach you all about high-level finance in the United States as of today. So last week, there was a bank called Silicon Valley Bank that had a lot of financial issues that occurred, where effectively there was a bank run that occurred on Friday where $42 billion of deposits were removed. Everybody who has a Twitter account was seeing all of the financial gurus and the thread guys complaining about how the government needs to step in. But ultimately, a lot of this is reverts, as we said earlier, reverts way back to the financial crisis that happened in 2008, where we have overspeculation, um, overconfidence in the market. And now we are here again. So um, Q, I want to get your thoughts on what has occurred and what has gone down. Where are you with this? I mean, it just seems that we don't learn our lesson with this shit um, over and over again. 
And I, I don't know. It, it's just seen. I, I don't. I'm wondering what has led to this because I, I, what is what is the inflection point to where all of a sudden this starts just started happening? Because, you know, obviously the mortgage crisis, the subprime mortgages. I wrote my college thesis on that about Lehman Brothers, and we we know that was like kind of the origin. Like the chickens came home to roost. Like because essentially, for anybody who doesn't know, back then in 2008 they offered these teaser rates essentially to people who couldn't afford to buy homes to allow them to buy homes, right? Like 0% interest, put no money down and you can go into a home. And they're thinking that they're going to be able to keep those interest rates for the rest of their life. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, they're getting hit with 30, 40% interest. The, the amount that they owe on the mortgage is like 10 times what the house is actually worth. And essentially they default the bank now, had you know has all these toxic assets on their books and like there there goes what is what happened here that is causing the, the the bank failure because a bank failure is not something especially for one that's so big um now for normal people obviously the bank will insure you up to i believe uh, $250,000 mm -hmm. the FDIC does that Right. So if you're a normal person, you're probably not going to be too worried about this. You will be made whole. But obviously the crypto bros and all those other folks that are have probably millions of dollars in their accounts are losing their minds. I have no doubt they're going to be bailed out. Janet Yellen has said that they're not going to bail them out. I don't believe her. I think they will. Um, but I think there was another bank. Was it? Am I wrong? There was another bank today that's now defaulting. So there was there was a couple of them um, prior to SVB. There was a bank called Silvergate, which was heavily focused in the crypto industry. And as we've talked about it ad nauseum, the crypto industry has kind of gone into the toilet over the last six months or so. And so their capital effectively dried up because of that. The other one, I don't remember the name of it. It's like Signature Bank or something like yeah. that. Um, that has also hit some major issues and has also been closed. But frankly, both of those um, banks had kind of the similar issue, but more for SSFB, SVB, their issue was that 50% 50, 50 of all the tech startups did banking with this one group. And mm -hmm. the challenge that they had was they were taking in so much money and effectively buying government bonds for long-term investment and going to soak up the yields off of them. This is when the stock market was going through the roof. Uh, interest rates were low. And as those interest rates started to go up and up, their yield started to drop and they got to the point where they had to sell off. I think it was like $21 billion in bonds for a loss. And yeah. they were only able to recover 1.8 billion of it. And they needed, they needed cash because all of these tech companies were starting to, to need more of it because money was starting to get harder to find. And they basically said like, well, we can't give it to you because that would, that would kill us. The one part about this that's the most interesting is this group had the money, but we've never seen a bank run or a financial issue like this before because there's all of these warning signs that were already out there. But the, the cherry on top is all of these entrepreneurs, CEOs, VCs, these venture capitalist folks, 
they all got together and said, hey, there's no money here. We should pull out all of our money right now collectively. So this is almost like a bank run based in Slack. And there's no basis to it. And they just went after it and soaked it up and effectively bitched and moaned for months that the government should not have any involvement in the finance industry or the tech industry. And then over the last 96 hours, they've all been begging and pleading for a lifeline. Um, some of the most brain dead people on Twitter have had to reverse course and effectively said like the government needs to do this or else everyone's going to die, which is quite an, is quite a statement. Yeah. I mean, to think that this is like a major, like, yeah, to think that like, especially for them, like the, I, you, like, I'm noticing a lot of these guys are VCs and like, they want us to feel bad for them. And I'm like, I don't because number one, you should, if you have like in excess more than a couple million dollars in one account, like you're playing with fire as it is. Um, and secondly, like you're a rich VC, like who is probably going to find another way to steal money from somebody else. So it's like, I don't like you expect me to feel I feel bad um, in whole that like this is going to cause more issues. But like, again, it's it's people profiting off of it and then the bank failure, you know, causing havoc in for Main Street. So it's like it just seems like 2008 all over again. You see, the interesting thing about this queue is that. The the folks that are involved in this are some really like intelligent supposedly and successful companies. And then you find out like who has money deposited into SVB. If I told you that Roku had $450 million sitting in one bank account with SVB, what would be your response to that? I I don't know. Four hundred fifty million dollars in one account is a very dumb idea. It, it, I mean, again, you are only insured. Like any bank is only insured up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Now I understand if you have four hundred fifty million, it's hard. Like, what are you going to spread that out to? Like, um, you know, thousands of different banks? No, but like at the same time, it's like, come on, man. Like, you have to know that like having that much money in one spot is is a recipe for disaster. So, yeah, it's hard for me to feel. And plus, if you have four hundred fifty million dollars, where did you get that money from anyway? So. Right. I mean, Roku is a major tech company, but like you would think that there'd be some there. There would have to be somebody on their board. It's like maybe we should like split this money up a bunch of amongst a bunch of different like banks and different accounts and things mm. like that. I read somewhere that Giannis Antetokounmpo has his money spread out in 50 different bank accounts in different banks. Smart. How does Giannis have more financial sense than these guys that are running multi-billion dollar companies? It blows my mind that that is the case here. Um, so as more information comes out, it's just like, what exactly is going on with these groups? Um, it just... It, it, I might have said this already, and, and we might go around in circles in this, but I feel like we're just doing 2008 over again, but we're doing it differently because, you know, we have Slack or Discord that we can all talk about this in. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm interested to see, like, if, like, 
how how does Biden go forward with this? Because at the end of the day, it's I think there's going to be an immense amount of pressure for him to do something and save the banks, but and ultimately make all these people whole, no matter how much money you have in there. But like it's going to cause blowback because like you know you're cutting services for low income people in this country, and like it's like we're all we're all starting to feel it. And then like now you have some idiot VC who put over $400 million in a bank account and then lost it all. And now we're supposed to like feel bad and like think that he should get all his money back. It's absurd. And that's the thing that is the most concerning is what precedent this is going to set. Because I don't know if you had listened to the press conference that Biden gave this morning, they, the federal government is guaranteeing all of the money that was deposited into SVB. So as you said earlier, if you have less than $250,000 in a bank, the FDIC will insure all of that money if that bank goes under. Mm -hmm. But we have people who have invested millions of dollars into this bank and they're going to get all of that money back. The tricky part now is that at the FDIC, all of the banks pay into that to cover their own insurance. Right. But the slippery slope now is if we are covering every deposit, what is that going to do with that fund? I think it's like $126 billion is reserved. Mm. But if we're talking about now every single bank account, that the ones that exceed $250,000, that's like, it's like, I read somewhere, it's like eight or $9 trillion worth. So... Their whole argument of like, oh, this isn't a bank out, this isn't a bailout. The FDIC already has all this info. They already have all this insurance money. They can cover it. Like, 126 billion dollars is only going to get us so far. Right. And what happens when that money runs out? It's it's not a bailout from the semantics terminology, but it is a bailout because at some point you yeah. and I are going to have to pay for this. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, and ultimately asking people while we're dealing with inflation and, you know, the treasury secretaries and all of them, the, the head of the Fed is telling us that like, yeah, you know, unemployment's going to be needed. And like you're telling people that like time to take a haircut and you're like, you have these rich Silicon Valley fucks that are, you know, worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And like, they're going to try and like, I saw some post on Twitter yesterday it was uh, some woman talking about like, I'm just this woman from, um, you know, I'm a woman from the South and like, I have four kids. I drive a Honda. Oh, and... I saw that too. Yeah. There's a lot more to that story. Though. Yeah. Cause do you see where she worked? Yeah. 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 And her husband defense... makes like a quarter of a million dollars for a steel company. Yeah. She worked for like defense contractors and stuff. So it's like, come on. Her and her husband are also McKinsey people too. McKinsey. So. Yeah. That's what it was. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So come on, like you're trying to sell this like Midwest, like I'm just a normal person. And it's like you are fucking you work for fucking you work. Like, it just drives me nuts. But it did, no, the, the, the real thing here is that like you're asking people, normal people to take a haircut. And and I although I don't even think that that's legitimate, like now you're going to make these fucking people whole. Like, come on. Yeah, it's it's an interesting approach for last week the recommendation from the fed chair jerome powell was like 
well, you know, we're going to have to raise interest rates and that might mean that people are going to lose their jobs. And Elizabeth Warren, to her credit, pushed him on that, said like, the, the, so the only way that we can solve this problem is just by letting people go and having them go on unemployment and losing their livelihoods. And he was like, well, do you know a better way of doing it or something to that effect? And it's just really interesting that now we're having this conversation like, sorry, we can't bail. We can't make sure that you keep your job. We're not going to be able to do universal health care. We're going to have to cut all of the SNAP benefits and welfare benefits for folks who are unemployed. But this guy (laughs) who put all of his money in a bank that went tits up and there was no accountability on their end. And the CEO of this bank cashed in all of his stocks for like $4 million and then bounced. Nobody's going to see any repercussions for that. I, I don't think Americans have an appetite for something like this because we've seen how this played out in the past. And mm. all of those dudes in 2008 for the Wall Street meltdown, they all got paid and they all ended up better off. Meanwhile, yeah. our 401ks got fucked over. Yeah, literally nothing came out of that. Like, nothing changed. Nothing, like, got better. Nothing nothing got fixed over mm-hmm. that. Like, and, like, yeah, they, they pretty much just gave them cash injections, even though they didn't need it, just to keep their books stable. And, you know, they all spread the toxic assets around themselves just to kind of absorb it. But they essentially, I mean, the minute you got rid of Dodd-Frank, we knew this was going to be an issue. And they're like they the, the you know the too big to fail right the banks got too big to fail right now, so what did they do? They made them bigger. Yeah. Which they again, consolidated all that power. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's going to be a major issue. So. And yeah. and I also want to mention this too, and I think if you're on Twitter, if you're constantly online like you and I are. There's a bit of an issue that's happening where there's these tech startup folks who are saying like people should have a little grace for the tech startups and they're, they're, they shouldn't be going after us. And I, I think the counter argument is like nobody is going after the founders of these companies. Right. People are going after the banks that chose to give money to companies that don't really exist to over leverage themselves and take on all this risk but interconnected themselves with all of these other banks where now we're stuck. And now you have to bail one, three, five of them out to make sure that the rest of the market doesn't fall apart. Yeah. And I, I think there's this a little bit of this like victimhood that's happening on Twitter where it's all these people like, Oh, you just hate innovation. Like, no, we hate people who fucking cheat. That's the problem here. And yeah. I, I, you know, again, doom scrolling at like four o'clock in the morning, seeing all this stuff on there. And it's just very frustrating that folks don't understand that they're not going to be the ones that have to take responsibility here. It's the American people that are going to have to do it. Yeah. No. And that's the problem is we're ultimately, again, here we go. Here we go again. You know, <laughs> Yep. here we go again. And it's ultimately going to be the same shit over and over again to where we, we're going to keep doing this over and over and over again. And until it becomes too much to handle and like it's going to start having real dire effects on, on the global economy. So I think that what we're down in like now two or three, I think we were at like 16 
Like, so if we start seeing more dominoes start to fall, that's when we should start getting worried. Yeah. Did you see, um, did you see that wall street journal article that essentially said the reason why SVB failed was because they had too much of a focus on diversity and inclusion. (laughs) Never, never find a moment where you can't hit on social issues. Uh, you know, like again, like that's, it's just, it's always be, it's always, it's ABR always be racist if you can. Yeah. Um, for the conservative right. So it's like it, pretty much at this point, they're like, yeah, well, you know what? Bank failed. Got to be because too many blue haired people uh, work in there. Yeah. Oh, I, was, <laughs> I was reading that article on Wall Street Journal and I was like, OK, this makes a lot of sense. This is actually like this provides like a good concept of what was going on. Like they went eight months without having a chief risk officer on board to like basically tell them what was a good idea and what wasn't, but yeah. then like sprinkled in the end, almost like if you had to like drag and drop in, like, this is the problem for the woke left. It was, mm-hmm. you know, the, the company prides itself on diversity and it, and it explains like how many people of color, how many women and veterans were involved. And they said, if they had spent a little less time on this and more on the function of this company, like maybe things would have been better off. And the response to that is like, how many white people were involved with Lehman Brothers? Like, I think that's the problem. It's not a diversity issue. It's a stupid people issue. It's an arrogant people issue. It's an overconfident person issue. God, it's just, it's just so silly, man. It, again, like even in the, in the midst of like some of the worst moments in this country, um, they, they'll never, they'll never not find a moment to like, hit on those like social on the social things everything everything is like pronouns and gender and race and for them but like it's just i don't know man i i i find i find it hard to have faith in that like we're this is ever going to be solved long term when we have like this is this is the conversations that kind of stem from these issues rather than like like maybe restoring dodd frank finding real steps to make sure that these banks are are not leveraging themselves into oblivion no we're going to talk about this stuff it's like yeah. truly truly a, a species not made to last and this is the shit that like no one's going to ask any questions about like accountability it's just going to be you know it's all of these it's all and i can't wait for ron DeSantis to pounce on this and it's all going to be just the shit that doesn't really matter. And everyone's just going to sweep this under the rug. And we're going to be right back here in 10 years, maybe at the, I'm, I'm curious though, like what happens now in your mind? What is ideally, what is a response that you would want to see from the white house when it comes to like addressing this issue? I mean, like I've been talking about with Dodd-Frank, like I want real regulations put into these banks now. And especially with crypto, like I feel like this is becoming a bigger issue because of crypto and because it's not like federally regulated. Mm -hmm. And so now, I mean, like I, I don't even know where to go from here because honestly, when it comes down to it, I don't want people to lose out on their money, but I don't want to be paying these VCs, you know, $400 million back um, using taxpayer dollars. So it's, it's kind of a tough balancing act for me to where it's like, I want something to be done, but at the same time, it's like, I also kind of want them to tell them the fuck off. 
I have a hot take. Do it. So SVB is a private bank. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what we saw in 2008 was these private banks that were also doing all this shit as well. Right. You know, taking your deposit and investing it in risky stocks or investing it in risky bonds or buying um, mortgage backed securities that are super fucking toxic. And then they didn't know what to do with them. So they just moved them around. Right. Um, again, private banks. I would like to see the U.S. government do something where you take. You take like a credit union or a state managed bank. And this is now a public entity. This is a public good. You're not going to be charged all of these ridiculous like fees or other things of that nature when it comes to like at the end of the year, like if you have a credit card, you're going to get charged like $75 for your account management fee, or if you have a savings account, you're going to get charged for it. Yeah. Credit unions, state banks, they all run free mm -hmm. and they're all fdic backed you go to a private bank though you don't get any fdic backing like if you want to run a if you want to run your organization recklessly run it into the ground and then run to the government after you just trash them on twitter for two years and said the federal government has no ability to manage the financial markets has no idea what it's doing when it comes to tech like cool, you can yeah. be over there and you can fuck yourselves, but don't take the rest of us down with you because we're not involved in this. Yeah. That it's is a good my idea. hottest take. No, I, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, it just, it, I, I have a feeling this is going to become more prominent and I, you know, there's going to have to be something extreme done, but like, I don't have faith either, though, that like Congress or the Senate or anybody will be able to do anything in the time frame that we need to be to get it done. Yeah, I would agree. And all you got to do is look at the lobbying efforts that have taken place to strip away the components of Dodd-Frank. And I will say, too, like, I'm a little questionable of that bill because Senator Frank was also an individual that was on the board of one of these banks that lobbied to get the, the rules stripped away as well. So they're deregulated. So I don't necessarily know if, if this current iteration of Congress or federal government has the, the interest of doing something like that, because there's so much money that has been like dumped into both sides of the aisle. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the problem is that you have very few people like Bernie and Elizabeth Warren who are actually, you know, talking about this in, in a real frank manner and trying to get to a point where we are treating it like the issue that it is. And then you have, you know, just people fucking around, like who are just not interested in actually solving the problem because they profit off of it. Mm -hmm. So it's like if we can't trust that our elected officials are going to be able to take care of this, then who can we trust? So I don't know. I don't know, but it, it seems like I would say the last like two months has been a really good eye opener to some of the problematic behavior that happens in these like private and federal relationships between Norfolk Southern 
and the the railroad industry alongside the federal government. And now you see this other issue here where the federal government is going to have to come in and bail out this bank. They're going to have to bail out other banks as well. And they have to make a promise to solve all of these issues. And like that, like the, the federal government didn't do this. Those people yeah. did. And I think for me, what I'd like to see is some accountability where the CEO of SVB has to come on and explain like what the rationale and the thought process was for pushing all of this mm-hmm. and saying it was okay. And yeah. they're going to have to be held accountable to it. And and Gatto has chimed in. He's just left the boardroom where he was yelling at the CEO SVB. He says, <laughs> we want capitalism until we need socialism. Cry more, live. And that is a perfect iteration of the challenge that we have today is that nobody wants socialism until you need the government to bail you out. Bootstraps on the way up, socialism on the way down. Yeah, Golden Parachute brought to you by your tax dollars on the way down. Yeah. So... We're going to stay on top of this. Um, got, or Q, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to this or any other thoughts you wanted to provide. I know this is relatively new. No, it's pretty much like where I'm at right now. Okay. So um, we are going to stay on top of this issue. Um, but if you want to provide us with your thoughts or your insights, or if you want to share any interesting information with us, do us a favor and drop it in the comments below, or you can jump onto our Discord and add those in there. Again, we're going to be following all of these stories as we go forward. Okay. Now, now that we had our vegetables, let's talk about the thing that we really came here to talk about. (laughs) NFL free agency. We are starting that process right now, but there's a lot of drama that's going on between a couple of quarterbacks in the NFL currently yeah. Um, Q, I'm gonna let you kick this off and let us know what you're following along with. Yeah, Lamar Jackson's an interesting case. Um, you know, because we're seeing it now with Lamar that he they placed a non-exclusive tag. For anybody who doesn't understand the difference between the exclusive tag and the non-exclusive tag, is that with a non-exclusive, they're allowed teams are allowed to negotiate with Lamar Jackson. So, like the Indianapolis Colts, for example, could call his agent and start talking contract numbers. They could have meetings and everything like that. They can offer him a contract and he can sign it. If that does happen, that that said contract would be then sent to the Colts. They would have, I think, either three to five days to match it. If they do decide to match it, they have to sign him to that offer. If they don't, the Indianapolis Colts would get Lamar Jackson and the price of it is two first-round picks. So it seems as though no one is going to make a move for him. And like pretty much everyone has already said, like this person, this team's out, this team's out, this team's out. And it's crazy because it, at this point, we're talking about a league MVP who, you know, I, I understand he's had some injuries the past few years, but like, man, like it just seems like he can't get any love. And Daniel Jones gets paid before him. We can talk about Daniel Jones later. Um, it's just crazy, crazy to see. It almost feels like, like a league-wide collusion against Lamar Jackson at this point. Yeah, and we're not affiliated with the NFL or ESPN or other hot-take industrial complex, so we can use that word. This is really collusion. And I saw something on um, the internet the other day that Lamar Jackson has more touchdowns 
by his 24th birthday than any other quarterback in the NFL in the history of the game. Yeah. Like, I don't understand why people are so afraid of him. He's a guy who doesn't get in any trouble. He doesn't talk shit to anybody. He's not a distraction. And he just produces. And I, I, for the life of me, I can't figure out why nobody wants to even talk about that. Nobody wants to invest anything in him. But the Cardinals put a ton of money into Kyler Murray. Yeah. Without any questions asked. Yep. The Seahawks just signed a hundred million dollar deal with Geno Smith, which good for him. Congrats. Yeah. Um, but there are the Dolphins seem pretty content with Tua, even though every season he's played, he's missed time. Right. The Panthers traded to get the first overall pick in the draft, not even taking a look at Lamar, not even asking any questions. They traded away two first round draft picks to get him or to get that number one overall pick. Right. It just, and the jets right now are trying to get Aaron Rodgers, who all indications is that if he hasn't figured out whether he wants to stay or go, I don't know if that's going to be a good fit in New York. (sighs) Um, I don't, I don't like anytime I see a quarterback that starts doing the thing where they go, I don't Back know if he'll play this year. Yeah. I'm already like, I don't think so, man. I, 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 I understand if the jets do it and I don't think the price will be that crazy, but like, I don't think it's going to be, I, I think it will be reminiscent of like when Favre was there. Like you'll have really good moments and they have a lot of good weapons. They have a good defense and all that, but like, I don't trust that it's going to be anything worthwhile. I thought he was supposed to have this figured out already. I thought he was sitting in the dark for four days and he was going to come out and figure whether he wanted to play or not. Yeah. And it seems like he's had conversations with the jets, but like, it just doesn't seem like they're there yet. So, um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's, it's weird. Yeah. So all that to say you have a league MVP who is not currently with a contract right now and nobody seems to want to sign him. And it soon, it sounded like, or it seemed like as soon as he signed that non-exclusive tag, as soon as he did that field Yates tweeted out, like these are all the teams that are out on him. And it was like five teams that desperately needed a quarterback who hadn't had a quarterback last year and really, really need one. And they're like, now we're good. We're out. And it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, I don't get it. Um, and, and I, especially because I figured if he was going to be in the dark for four days, he would have some perspective walking out like, you know what? I had a vision board in there and I saw me myself in a Jets uniform and it just doesn't seem like he seems like he's still on this. And like, I, I think the um, I think um, he, some, the Green Bay uh, GM pretty much said um pretty much said like, we're only going to have him back on our terms at this. Yeah. Point. They're not worried about him right now or something like that. He like, he's not a priority at this point. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. Which, which sounds like to me, I don't know about you, but it sounds like to me, they're pretty much over him. Like they're good yeah. either way, whether you stay or go, it doesn't matter. We just need to know. So we need to get other people ready to go. Right. Correct. Yeah. So all that to be said, we are once again waiting on pins and needles for a fucking Green Bay quarterback to figure out if they want to play in New York. I feel like, again, like 2008, we've done this already. 
and it didn't yeah. work out well for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I it, um, it, it, at this point, it's like, it just seems like it's a collision course that it's going to happen with Rogers and um, you know, that's all well and fine if it does, but it just doesn't seem like it's going to be, um, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a good thing for the Jets long term. Um, I know they think that like, um, I think they think that um, he'll be able to like tutor Zach Wilson to the point mm. where like, yeah, I, just, I don't like it. Yeah. I don't know how much Jordan Love has to contribute to that conversation about how much he was tutored by Aaron Rodgers, but the older Rodgers gets, the more he seems like he's a Brett Favre clone um, okay. where he's just not willing to work with anybody who's there. I want to move on to another quarterback who signed for a ton of money, and that's Derek Carr. Um, being released by the Raiders and signed a big deal with the Saints. Want to get your take on what that looks like for you? Is that going to be something that's worthwhile for them, or are they just going to end up regretting that later? I don't – I mean, like, I understand the Saints kind of felt like they needed to do it, so it's like I understand that – um they they felt like they need to so i i get it um but like Derek Carr was never an elite quarterback at this point mm-hmm. like i mean and and not that they're like necessarily even paying him as one but like they are kind of like especially for the saints that are kind of cap strapped every single year they've learned how to manipulate the cap really well they have a an ability to um they have an ability at this point to kind of capitalize and like, but I just, I just don't think Derek Carr is the guy. Like we saw it last year, right? We saw with, uh, with uh, Devonte Adams, you know, just wasn't really, just wasn't really like gelling together. Like they gave him all the necessary weapons and they just still couldn't get it. To, they actually regressed. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic on seeing how that goes. Honestly, I, I think the Saints just signed somebody to a defensive lineman to a big contract today. Like, I don't – I think they should really just cut losses and just, just try to rebuild that team as much as they can because they have so much money in dead cap. Um, older guys who are kind of out of their prime at this point, like they really need to just strip everything down and just start over again. I think that's probably the best way they're going to be able to do it. And frankly, that's what they did prior to them going on that run where Drew Brees signed and they were a much more successful team when they were just honest with themselves of who they really are. Yeah. And I, I, I know what's going to happen. They're going to, the Raiders are going to draft Will Levis because right now, obviously we haven't even talked about the, the trade that happened mm-hmm. get into that. Um, but like, they're going to end up taking the fourth quarterback, you know, and <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's, 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 it's just not a good, like, I, I think they should have stuck with Carr for one more year, honestly, if you're asking. Yeah, no, I don't think that was a terrible idea. Um, and you know, the more I read and learn about Will Levis, the less I like and I think everyone really likes the tools for him 
in the same way, it's like the Anthony Richardson conversation of like, everyone likes the raw potential of what Anthony Richardson could be. The problem, the difference between Richardson and Levis is that Levis played a lot of football in college and Mm -hmm. didn't look good. And Anthony Richardson only played, I think, 13 games in college and looked pretty good. And you could see that there was potential there, but I think that team was not strong. So my thing with Levis is I do like him. Um, I think he's got all the necessary tools that you want in a quarterback, right? He's got the arm. He's got all that. He's a, he's a former Penn State guy. Um, so I like his abilities, but the issue is that we saw a steep decline in him. He obviously lost Wondell Robinson, who got drafted by the New York Giants. Um, he He's had moments where he looks good. But it just he didn't really grow, and like he's going to be one of the older quarterback prospects in this draft. He's going to be 24 starting his NFL season. Typically, you like a guy who's 21, 22. I only say that because of the fact that typically, if they're if they are 24, it means that they're either transfer guys, which means you transferred for a reason, or you've had a lot of injuries, so you've gotten an additional year of eligibility. So like Shroud, Bryce Young, 22, Richardson, 22. So I always worry when you're like, you're a 24 year old guy going against 18, 19 year olds and you're not dominating at that level makes me concerned, but he's a tough kid. He played through a lot of, he had like a broken thumb. He was playing through at one point. He's a tough guy. Um, And I like him. He's got a good, you know, he seems like he has a good head on his shoulders, but I just, I just don't see elite quarterback, you know? Yeah. And I, and I feel kind of the same way. And and I, we should acknowledge that he did play with a lot of injuries. He had that broken thumb he also had a broken toe too. Yes. Yeah, and if you're but he puts may- but he puts mayo and coffee, so he's he's yeah. He's a That's a third rounder, right? From the jump. <laughs> like I don't care you what lose. you do with the combine. <laughs> I don't care what you do with the combine. I don't care what you do your 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 tryout day. Like dog. Yeah. Like, are you one of those guys that's a steak and butter stick dude on TikTok now, where it's just some weirdo level shit. Oh, you right saw there. that? The the guy who yeah. God, that guy needs to be thrown in fucking jail. I love how he's like he tries to compare them to like regular meals too. He's like, this is a burrito and it's just a raw steak with a stick of butter in the middle. And it's like I feel yeah. like it's almost like he's just trolling us at this point, I feel like. Yeah. It's like a skinnier, frailer version of like the the meat guy or whatever the fuck liver king that's who it is even the liver king was not that crazy no not at all but you know i'm i'm curious to see who's gonna the one willing to take the chance and will levis but i think whoever is gonna be the one that takes him they're going to expect him to start soon because the hype train on him is going to be huge i think it's a little bit different compared to anthony richardson where there's speculation of him going in the top three or four. Right. But everyone knows like you need to sit this kid for a little bit because he needs to grow and develop. But I think people are anticipating that when Levis gets drafted, he's going to start. And I think that's a huge mistake. Probably because I mean, of the age on it though. Yeah. I mean, it's also going to be situational because I mean, so to talk about the trade, the bears got a haul. They moved back to nine. Uh, Carolina Panthers are now the owner of the number one pick. 
uh, it was the first. So they get pick number nine. They get their second round pick this year as well. They get a first rounder for next year, second rounder for 2025, and also DJ Moore. Which uh, is probably the more impactful yeah. component right now because he's had a thousand yard seasons with all of the guys that they've had in yeah. Carolina. All Justin, the goons. Justin Fields instantly his best quarterback that he's ever played with. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's it's a good move for the Bears, obviously. They're still gonna get somebody at nine who's gonna be an impactful player. Uh, so I think they, they, it was a measured move. Um, but so for Carolina, the betting favorites are now CJ Stroud to go number one. I wouldn't look too much into that though, because if you go back last year, Aiden Hutchinson was the betting favorite to be the number one pick. And then obviously Trevon Walker just came out of nowhere and just became, you know, and then you go back to 2018. If you remember in 2018 with those big quarterback draft, uh, Josh Allen and Sam Darnold were consensusly like, these are the number one picks in the draft, either one of these guys. Mm. And then all of a sudden Baker Mayfield becomes the number one pick. So you, you can't really gauge it, but if it does go Stroud one, I anticipate Bryce young two and three is the Cardinals who are not going to take a quarterback obviously, but then four B is the Colts. That's where it gets interesting because do the Colts take Levis because like, you know, do they like him more or do they go for Richardson? You know, do they, do they jump into the Richardson train? Because then if that happens, five is Seattle, six is Detroit. I don't think Detroit takes a quarterback. And then seven would be the Raiders where it could either be Levis or Richardson. So I think Levis is a better fit for McDaniels, though, just overall. But, like, the upside is capped because I just – like, a lot of people have tried to call him Josh Allen. I just don't see that. I don't see it either. I mean – the thing is, though, is that Allen was decent. He was a decent player with lesser talent. And mm-hmm. to say that Kentucky, an SEC school, a major power five school, had the same level of talent as a school like Wyoming is foolish. He lost a lot of talent. Um, he lost a lot of talent. So I, I don't want to like just shit on Will Levis here. Um, he did lose a lot of talent. But – at the end of the day, you still have to be able to like if you're an elite quarterback, like Pat Mahomes lost a lot of talent too. And he ends up winning the Super Bowl. So, you know, the the really good quarterbacks can rise above it. But I do give him credit for being tough. But at the end of the day, he's probably my fourth or fifth quarterback. But yeah. like for me, like I I think Stroud is number one in this draft. I know he's not like exciting to a lot of people because his arm is good not great he's he can move but he doesn't really use his legs but he's just i i like accurate passers because i i still think he's an athletic enough kid to be able to like make it work mm-hmm. but like he just doesn't use it as much as he should but i think he can i don't think it's a skill issue i think it's like a will issue at the in the college level um i just think he's so polished but like richardson's number two for me like I'm fully in. I will say CJ Stroud, hell of a talent, questionable heroes. Yeah, that was a that was a bit of a weird <laughs> one for me. Who do you who do you most look up to? I don't know, Michael Vick, which by the way, I want to give credit to Michael Vick. Like he's he's made number one, he paid back every fucking penny that he owed. And he went to jail 
and he's since now become an advocate against dogfighting. So again, things are cultural sometimes. I know it's like hard for people to process, but like credit to him that he has really made a drastic change in his life. So I give him credit. And I think too, it's important to note that he has forever had to be kind of just humbled all the time. For sure. And he is somebody who has made no waves since he got back into the NFL. He's not been a problem for anybody. He's been a good teammate. And then I don't watch the Fox show. I don't watch FS1, but I imagine he's probably a pretty capable, like color commentary guy and provides some good analysis. Yeah. But he even said, dude, you need to watch out for Anthony Richardson. He is dangerous. I'm telling you. And I think we can take the advice of Michael Vick, a former like superstar in the NFL. I've, I've watched a decent amount of Anthony Richardson because I anticipated the giants were going to be shit this year. So I was kind of scouting quarterbacks very early on. And Richardson was the guy to me that would make these insane plays that like no human being, no other human being other than maybe like a Mahomes or Josh Allen could make in my mind. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, I was like, he is, that guy and then like you would see him make a terrible throw god awful throw but you look at him and i watch him and like his footwork is kind of weird like he's like not necessarily like lazy with his footwork but like it's just like kind of sloppy so when i look at it i'm saying to myself i'm like if you get him a guy who is smart you know if you put him with a brian dable right right I think he's a guy that would have a huge jump. Like, and again, Josh Allen, we talked about him being that guy that I think a lot of us were like, I don't think he's going to even be decent. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, he's like, he's become this top tier quarterback in this league. And it's because they cleaned up a lot of his issues. They cleaned up a lot of the footwork issues that he had, the sloppiness and all that. So I think a team is going to look at a a guy like Richardson and probably want to play him right away. And let him make the mistakes. Let him go out because he's going to make splash plays too. Yeah. And he's going to get confidence. And like from everything I've heard, he's a good kid. He's a team leader. So like he's a guy that you would want to work with. So. And, and honestly, I'm willing to kind of forgive some of the things that happen in Florida when it comes to his play, mm-hmm. really because that team is just not good. Like the talent on that team is just not what you'd expect from a Florida team. And I feel like a guy in his situation, like you're, I mean, Damian Pierce running back for the Texans never played for that team comes into the NFL. I think he had a thousand yard year last year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Some of the wide receivers that he had never really matched their potential. Um, Young Joka being one of them. Young Joka. Um, but ultimately, like that team just didn't have the weapons. And when you're a guy like him of his talent level, the expectation for you to basically carry a team on your back yeah. is up here. So the bonehead mistakes are like trying. Like, I think there's a difference between like that was a stupid play and like he was trying to make something happen here. And I think I'm more willing to forgive like he was trying to make something happen here. Because there's nobody on this team that can do it versus like, dude, who are you throwing to? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I I I agree. And I I 
I have a lot of faith in Richardson. I think he I think he's gonna be one of those guys that people kind of look back on and go, Yeah, I think we overthought it a little bit. And like because I mean, there's too many times where you're just like normal people don't make those type of throws. Like it's just not like it's not something that like anyone can just really make. He he makes special throws. So in my mind, I'm looking at a guy like that, and I think like if I like what pro football focus for all their faults have had a really good thought process on quarterbacks. And their their thought process on quarterbacks was until you get a Mahomes or an Allen, you keep swinging. Mm-hmm. Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't settle for a guy that's like in the middle. Don't settle for a Kirk Cousins. Go out there, keep taking swings until you find that guy. When you find that guy, never let him go. You know, give him whatever he wants. In my mind, Richardson's the type of guy you take a fucking swing with because the upside is humongous. If he fails, you can get out of it in like two years and you can move on. But like he could end up becoming this elite crazy quarterback. At worst, he's Cam Newton. Yeah, and I think that's a really good analogy of like don't settle for a Kirk Cousins because shout out to our Minnesota Vikings fans, especially Philly on this show. Like they're trapped with Cousins, right? Like he's an average guy. You know what you're going to get for him, but the the alternative is too scary. At least with like a high-end boomer bust guy, you know what you're going to get. Like if – Richardson is a dud after two years. Cool. Odds are we're going to be in the top 10 and we're going to be able to draft another quarterback. But if you, you know, if you settle for a guy like a current version of Matt Ryan or a Kirk Cousins or a Derek Carr, like you, it's hard to envision life after that. And I think that's where like the, the overthinking, the analysis paralysis kicks in. Mm -hmm. But all that to be said, like, I think this is a redeemable moment for all of these teams who said Lamar Jackson was not going to make it in the NFL. Like here is a good example of that. Like, and Lamar and the Lamar thing was crazy because if you, if you go back to his stats at Louisville, his completion percentage, his touchdowns, his yards, everything went up every single year, like literally. And like, that was Bobby Petrino. Mm-hmm. It wasn't some like running gun college offense. That was a pro style offense he was playing in. So it's like for anybody that like looked at his numbers, looked at his tape, and then looked at where he played and what type of system he was in, and said he's a wide receiver, you're an idiot. Like, yeah, you're you're an absolute moron. And I mean, these are the same scouts that are saying that you know Anthony Richardson might not be good. So, and I'm wondering too if going back to the Lamar Jackson not getting any interest. I'm wondering if a lot of that has to do with these teams are essentially saying we got it wrong on Lamar and we're not going to acknowledge the fact that we got it wrong. So we're just not going to put in any offers for him. Yeah. Like, do do you all not want to win? Like this is the best shot you have Colts. Like they're not going to get all the good, all the good quarterbacks are going to be gone at four. Well, well, and I think you have to ask yourself, right? Like you, you ask yourself, where do you, 
where do you rank these guys next to Lamar? But now the thing to take into mind with Lamar is there is a cost to it, and it's going to be probably 200 and something million dollars, and he's going to probably want a fully guaranteed contract. So I can understand where some teams are like, no, I'll take a shot on Richardson at four, you know, because like he's going to be cheap and it's going to be easier. Like, but like you're not, you don't know what you're getting. So, it, but like the fact that no one's willing to take a shot on him is crazy. So, yeah, like, I don't know. And I heard that too. Like he wants a fully guaranteed contract. Yeah, of course and, he does. And frankly, they gave it to fucking Kirk Cousins. Like you tell me you can't give it to him. Gave it to Deshaun Watson. They gave it to Deshaun Watson. Although I think a lot of owners are trying to avoid that situation again. But yeah, again, they, want, they want it to be like the exception, not the rule. Yeah, it's a different scenario in this case because Lamar has not gotten in any trouble. Yeah. He's not bothered anybody. He's a mm-hmm. quiet dude. He hasn't yeah. fucked with anybody. Yeah. He hasn't demanded that strippers or masseuse massage therapists come to his room and he does horrible things to them. Moving on to the Giants, I know that we were off when um, Danny Dimes signed his contract. How are you feeling about that? Well, I first want to point out the New York Giants just signed Bobby Okereke from the Indianapolis Colts, a linebacker. Thank fucking God. Four years, $40 million. That's a good deal for him. Really good tackle machine from the Colts. Thank you. Um, so Daniel Jones. Um, yeah, I listen, I'm I've looked at the structure of the deal because like everyone freaked out when they saw the original number. Uh, it was four years, 160. And everyone loses their mind, as you can imagine. But when you look at the actual structure of the deal, um, a lot of it, is the guaranteed money is going to be paid up front. And I think, I think they can, they can get out of it within pretty much two, like three, two years is, it would be a little tough. It's most likely going to be a three year deal. I have taken the approach, um, as a Giants fan to be very negative and in large part that's earned, right? Because of watching Dave Gettleman think he's playing monopoly with the amount of money that he'll shell out um i've taken a very pessimistic viewpoint but brian dable obviously has made me a believer in him and that he is a good evaluator of talent and he understands the quarterback position better than a lot of people do in this league and when it comes to joe shane finding guys like isaiah hodgins off the scrap heap and making good solid choices um in the draft. Um, he really didn't. And he, by the way, he had no money last year to work with and like now has a little bit of spending power. I look at it and I say to myself, if they believe in Daniel Jones and if they truly think that we would have been worse off without him and that like long-term it's about meat on the bone, right? Do you think that there's meat on the bone when it comes to Daniel Jones? Do you think that the way he played last year is the best he's ever going to play? Or do you think that he has another level that he can strive to? Clearly, they're not paying him for what he's done. They're paying him for what he thinks he can do. So, and also, I want to point out for everybody's freaking out about the numbers, 40 million is not high tier quarterback money. It's probably going to put him in like the top 10, but like not like top tier, but also Lamar is going to get paid. A lot of these guys are going to get paid. It's a moving number at this point, which is going to push him down again. But also remember that the, a lot of the bet, sports betting money is going to start kicking in, in the next few years. So I expect the cap is going to go up pretty significantly over the next few years. So I think it's essentially a two-year deal. And 
honestly, like uh, it's not backloaded, thankfully. So it's it's a relatively front loaded contract. Two years from now, if Daniel Jones is throwing forty five touchdowns, you know, and ten picks, I don't expect that he will be. But I'm saying, like in the in the idea that they are right and he is taking it to the next level, it's going to be a bargain. He's going to be holding out and saying, no, no, we need to redo this deal because I need it more favorable towards me. That's a good problem to have. Um, so I'm not really worried about it. Am, am I still a little bit hesitant to expect that Daniel Jones is going to be anything better than he was last year, which is like a good gamer, but like not a top tier quarterback kind of living in the Kirk Cousins space of like being a mid-level quarterback potentially, but I have to trust the process here. You know, I have to trust um, Joe Shane. But what I will say is that like they just did a top 30 visit with Hendon Hooker. So mind you, it seems like Joe Shane has the mindset of go get myself another quarterback at some point and keep swinging, keep taking quarterbacks in the draft. So if two years from now, Daniel Jones hasn't hit that peak. And like, so let's say you have this really good young quarterback that's been in the system for two years. I think they're keeping their options open too. Yeah, I'd agree. I'm wondering though, like from your perspective, what is the next step for Daniel Jones? So if we were to look into the crystal ball, what is his, what is the 2023, 24 season ends? What are his end of year numbers look like for you? What is an acceptable, what are you hoping for? in terms of yards, completion percentage, touchdowns, picks, all that. So for me, the biggest thing is going to be turnovers in comparison to everything else. So Mm -hmm. if you look at the numbers last year, he had the lowest amount of turnovers he's ever had in a single season. It was eight total, five interceptions, three fumbles, which is seven, 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 even less, even less. So five interceptions, two fumbles then. Yep. Okay. So, that's incredible considering Actually, where he I take that back. It's five picks, one fumble for a loss. So six overall turnovers. Because he had two fumbles and one was for a loss. Okay. So, sorry to okay. interrupt, but no, no, no. It makes sense. Okay. <clears throat> so I, I still count the fumble as a as a turnover, regardless, because it's like you're putting the ball on the ground. It's 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 only by dumb luck that you get it back. So in my opinion, I think any fumble should be counted, but thank you for the clarification. Um, I want to see obviously look. We looked at the wide receiver group last year. It was shit, right? It was dog shit. Darius Slayton was their best receiver. He didn't even really start playing until like week five because they buried him on the depth chart. Hodgins came in late, um, and he was great, and I expect him to be a big piece going forward. <clears throat> They're going to get a receiver at some point. I don't know when that is. I think they might go after like a Paris Campbell um in free agency a cheap you know one year type of guy guy who's been playing for a really shitty quarterback that has that upside and is still young deandre hopkins question mark could be yeah um if if they're willing to take a late second for him then i think that's something that could happen um he's still young he's like he's 30 31 so like i still obviously has a couple years left where he could be really good i expect that they're gonna go heavy after wide receivers my thing is, though, I need to see him be more of a functional passer. Like, the running is awesome, and he got really good at it, but, like, I need to see more downfield strikes. 
So an ideal season for me is keep your completion percentage where it's kind of been, which is around 65% roughly. Last uh, year it was 67%. Yeah. So, so 60, 65 is good. Um, if you keep it, if you keep it north of 65, that's great. He's never topped. I think this is the first time, the second time he's topped over 3000 yards, but mm-hmm. you typically want to see being able to control the passing game. So 4,000 passing yard is a little bold, but I'd like to see it get closer. Definitely over 3,500 yards at this point. It's so weird for him to have 24 passing touchdowns in his first NFL season. I want a two to one, at least a two to one touchdown to game played um, passing touchdown. So 17 game season, roughly, I would like to see him over 30 touchdowns. That's where I want to like. I mean, if you're going to be an elite quarterback, being making forty million dollars a year, I need to see you over forty. I need to see at least over thirty touchdowns. Yeah. Now I'm willing to say that like you can have twenty five passing touchdowns and seven rushing, but like you have to go north of thirty touchdowns. You have to be the impact player. Now I will say, Kafka's red zone system is heavily designed for the running game to be prominent in the red zone. And it was very successful. They were a top five red zone offense. So if it's not broken, don't fix it. But at the same time, I need to see my quarterback being able to dominate. I just want to see real growth. And I think I saw that in the Vikings game, but then we saw it come crash down to earth in the Philly game in the playoffs. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that there's, I think there's a lot of potential for him because there's stability now with the team. There's competent yeah. coaches, there's stability in the front office. Yep. And ultimately they have like a plan for how they're going to go forward. I so, was, I think there's, again, as an outsider, I think what I'm looking at the most, and I'm curious to see how this will impact his game. 2022, he took 44 sacks. That was the second most in his career outside mm-hmm. of 2020, where he took 45. That number has to go down. Yeah. And I think that has a lot to do with the offensive line, making sure that that's healthy. Yeah. When healthy, I think that unit was pretty good. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but when they're healthy, they, they did a relatively good job of keeping things organized because Saquon was able to be productive. So Andrew Thomas, the left tackle stud, like absolute stud, all pro pro bowler type. Um, Evan Neal was a seventh overall pick last year, right tackle from Alabama. He struggled pretty badly, but I think it's pretty normal for a tackle, you know, especially cause he was a left tackle in college. He's playing right tackle. You're shifting everything. To it's a whole new side. position, really. Correct. It's a whole new right. philosophy over there. They do. They did a lot of vertical sets. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, it's pretty much like when you set as an offensive lineman, your, your kick step is all the way back. You're pretty much just jumping back to where the way the Giants, Bobby Johnson, the offensive line coach, he likes to do more 90 degrees. So his kick step was being changed, which is like, again, learning a new language, essentially, for the way you do things, your body, the way your body responds. There was a lot of games where they kind of let him set vertically and it was better. He was playing better. So I don't think, look, he's a physical marvel. I have a feeling it will be kind of like Andrew Thomas was in his first year. Um, struggled really badly and then kind of took a jump. So I have I have high hopes for him. The interior offensive line, it's all up for grabs. We just lost Nick Gates. Obviously, uh, he just went signed with the Commandos on a three year deal. Um, tough guy. He was fine. He was good. Uh, he just 
not a guy that I thought was going to be a long-term fixture on the team. They'd spend a third round pick on Josh Zudu from North Carolina like him. Um, but he still has some growing to do, but everything, every other like spot in the interior, that's why the offensive line is going to have to be a real emphasis, uh, this off season. Yeah. So I say all of that in that I'd be curious to see what he would be like with a competent interior offensive line to protect him. Yeah. The one area that concerns me the most is 120 attempts on the ground, 708 rushing yards. Good. Don't get me wrong, but the 120 attempts is double what he's done in the, the beginning of his career. Yeah. And if you're a guy like him, who's got a track record of getting hurt, mm-hmm. being that guy running around is not necessarily a good idea. So if he can translate those rushing yards to passing yards, have a little bit more stability in the offense, they put a little bit more faith in him and he starts to grow and develop. And ultimately I think he is a guy that is truly about confidence and he had that confidence in the first year. Obviously Joe Fudge was his head coach for two of them. Right. And Joe Fudge like hangs out in mortuaries. So I think that I, here is my prediction for him. I think he keeps a similar completion percentage next year. He's around 3,800 passing yards, 29 touchdowns passing. I'd say maybe nine or 10 picks, hopefully less sacks. And I think he's going to have fewer rushing attempts, but his touchdowns might be around the same. So five, six, because they can see him as somebody who can get into the end zone by like the 20 yard line, get in. So as long as it's like around 30 overall touchdowns, does that sit well with you? Yeah, I think anything south of ten interceptions in a seventeen-game season is, you know, you're it's, you're not th- you're throwing less than one per game, you know. Um, so yeah, I can live with that. Um, yeah, and, and getting close to 30, 30 touchdowns or getting overall over it with the passing and rushing touchdowns, it's just it, it's it's not a matter of like looking good on a stat sheet, right? Because like I don't need it to look good on a stat sheet; I need to win. But it's like in order to win, you need to look good on the stat sheet. So it's like I I, I want to see wins. That's what I like. Yeah. I, I don't want to. I don't want to get this. I don't want this to get lost in anything. Um, that I I obviously am more focused on wins than numbers. But like the numbers correlate to wins, and having a quarterback that, regardless of anything, can pretty much put you in a really good spot to win. But I think he showed that in Minnesota. I think like you watch that Minnesota game in the playoffs, like. He was locked in. He was perfect. And like he was, you know, manipulating the pocket. He was uh, running with like just like just they couldn't stop him. They couldn't stop anything he was doing. But then you go against the best one of the best defenses in the league in Philly and like they wrecked his shit. Yeah. He couldn't do anything. And he throws a pick to James Bradbury of all people, like literally throws it right at him. And it's like, man, that looked like year one Jones. Like what happened from last week to this week? Well, you're facing a better team. The Minnesota defense was shit. I need to see him be able to like go against a really good defense and like control himself and like yeah you can like throw a pick and you know have a bad play here and there but con- you know be able to still kind of control the pace of the game. Yeah. Again, I think he's a confidence guy and if he has the confidence he can be really successful and yep. I think he started to come out of his shell like midway through the season where he started to realize like 
I'm actually pretty good at this. And mm-hmm. if I'm able to just like do my own thing and I have to think too much, I can be really successful at it. Like I, I've seen what Dayball did with Josh Allen. And I think there's a little bit of that in there where like over time he will continue to get better and better. And yeah, if I'm a Giants fan, I am I am optimistic of what the future is going to hold. This guy is paid, now taken care of. The deal is structured in a way that it's not going to be like detrimental to the team long term. Now go out and sign the pieces that he needs to be successful. And I think I was trying to get to this earlier, like the peripheral components, I think is going to be really important to him. Like give him experience and confidence in the wide receiving core find a solution to the Saquon Barkley situation after this year. Um, Because I think he's a guy who needs a good running back because he can also run around and you need that kind of duality there. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, getting Saquon back is, you know, obviously great. You know, it's, and it's, it's not a long-term deal as of right now. So uh, I, I don't subscribe to giving, running backs, you know, multi-year deals, just not, just don't think it's conducive to success anymore. You look at these teams that are winning the Super Bowl, they don't sign running backs to big deals. It just, they don't do it. You become a good team. And then like you saw the Tampa Bay Bucks got Leonard Fournette for fucking nothing. Why? Because he wanted to win a championship. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that's how you do things nowadays. Giving Saquon Barkley $16 million a year is, is not going to happen. The Chiefs won a Super Bowl with a guy who wasn't even starting halfway through the year, too. The best rusher in the end of, the best rusher in the Super Bowl was Isaiah Pacheco. Isaiah Pacheco was a draft pick this past season, seventh round. From Rutgers. From Rutgers. So and then Jared McKinnon, who was signed off the scrap heap. This is how you win in the NFL. Like, and like honestly, like I love Saquon, but also like looked a little less than what we're used to this year still, but like that just goes to show how talented he really is that he can have that type of season, even though he's not maybe a hundred percent of what he was before, but like you can't pay for past performances. You can't do it. He looks a little ragged by the end of the year. Um, he started to slow down, but I, I would also wonder too, is that what happens when, you know, you don't play past like week five, for a couple of years and then you have to play into week 14 and 15 and my body's not used to this timeline anymore. I also think the giants offer to them was to him was quite generous. Um, they were, I think they were offering him 12 and he wanted 16. So he wanted McCaffrey money. 12 is by the way, just what Derek Henry got at the same age that Saquon's at now. Derek Henry, arguably, one of the best running backs in the league and Aaron Jones got Aaron Jones just took a pay cut to stay in green Bay. So like they, you know, you look at the running back market, it's Josh, Josh Jacobs and all these other guys. And it's like, you can, and like, and I'm telling you, I have not done a ton of work on this draft, but from everything I'm hearing, I think Daniel Jeremiah said that like, there's probably like 12 startable running backs in this draft, like 12 guys coming out that like probably could start year one at running back. Telling you, man, supply demand, you know, I would imagine that running backs this year are a lot like televisions. When you go to a store and you're like, how much is a good TV? And the person who works there is like, well, how much do you want to spend? Right. And like, 
if I'm in the market for a running back, like how much do I want to spend on this? You know, like, I want we, got, to- we got this 16K ultimate, like, you know, whatever, all these features and you're and that's like, how much is that? Like 10 grand. Like, uh, all right. We got this 4K TV though. It's really, really good. This one right here is beautiful. Yeah. This Vizio well, over here for, a, yeah. for 400 bucks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm going to tell you what. One. You might not love it, but you're still gonna watch TV on it. It's gonna be great. You're gonna yeah. picture. Look at the picture. It looks great. You see the sea. You see all the the fish in there. It looks great. Yeah, Josh Jacobs is the curved television with like the ambiance lights behind yep. it, and yep. like the the hand that comes out and gives you the remote control. Like none of that shit really matters. Like what you yeah. need, what you really need is like a Mike Allstott. Like it's an analog TV with the bunny ears, but Go back to it. Yep. And you got to hit it to get it going. But you know what? It was free. Your uncle gave it to you. (laughs) My first TV, man, I'm old enough to remember, was a a tube TV. So Yeah. And you know what? You were watching TV on it. I was watching the fuck. I still remember watching the fucking Super Bowl between L.A. and uh, Marina. uh, No, no, L.A. and Favre. Yeah. On it. Did Did me good. And all of the memories that came with it. Yeah. So sweet. Yeah, no, it's it's just, it's it's a position that's it's not antiquated. Like the, but you look at the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, look at how they did it, man. Like, well, they had three running backs, right? And they all did different things. You had Miles Sanders, who's more your one cut, like hit the hole and and go type of guy. You had Boston Scott, who was really good in pass protection and kind of like a third down catch the ball, fucking thorn in the giant side. And then you had Kenneth Gainwell, who was kind of like a speedy outside runner, you know? So, like, they have guys that kind of fit different profiles, and that's how you win. Like, if you asked me what the Giants should do this offseason, like, I would have been fine with letting Saquon hit the market, sign Dante Foreman for, like, a one-year, $3 million contract, and then draft, like, two young running backs. Yeah. Draft Sean Tucker from Syracuse. I'm not a fan. (laughs) It's okay. You'll you'll catch on. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a little bit. I'm not a fan. Sad, really. Oh, he has one gear, man. He's got one gear. Yeah, one gear fast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Your definition of fast and my definition of fast are a little different. My man ran track, my dude. Okay. That's he, all he, I'm saying. What, did, what was his 40? I don't know. Let me look it up. He didn't run a 40. Yeah, because he's slow. He was clocked in high school running a 4-3. Bullshit. Did he, was he not invited to the combine? He was. He just didn't run. Why? Because none of these guys want to run. It's not good. Mm-hmm. If he runs a 4-3, I'll, my name, I'm the king of Italy. The house hey, of Gucci. Hey, hey. It's um, projected for a four or five. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah four yeah, five yeah, two. Yeah, I, I would guess four or five two. Four or five four is what they have here. Yeah, that sounds about right. NFL fast, baby. Five nine two oh seven running a four five. I don't know. He's a grown up though. I'll take him. I'll take him as a priority. 
free agent, maybe a late round pick. Yeah, I, I think he'll be. I think he'll be better than people expect. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but the the guy I'm looking at is uh, Zach Charbonnet, I believe is is from UCLA, you get from Michigan. Well, no, formerly from, of Michigan, now yes, UCLA. yes, he is. Yeah, he's the the guy in this draft. He's that dude. Honestly, that team at UCLA was really, really weird. Yeah. And it's a Chip Kelly team too. So yep. Charbonnet's 2021, Charbonnet. 202, 1100 yards, 13 touchdowns, 2022, 1314 touchdowns. Yeah. He's a, he's a beast. And who is the, um, who's the quarterback there? Uh, door, door, uh, fuck. Can't remember his name. He's an interesting, uh, Dorian maybe. Thompson Robinson. Didn't he throw like the hardest ball at the, at the combine? He may have. He's, he's an interesting guy. He got better every single year. Um, he's still like, it's still he's, weird to see that like he never really became what I think everyone was kind of expecting him to be. But like, he's a guy that I think would probably go later in the draft and I'm kind of interested to see how he like if you who he goes to and how they develop him I would agree I I was I watched him from afar and like that UCLA team when Chip Kelly got there was bad like yeah, they really sucked bad. um but you're right I mean his numbers got increasingly better like 2021 21 Much, touchdowns yeah Last year, 3,000 yards, 27 touchdowns, but the the rushing started to get better and better every year. Like, I I mean, he's – again, there's a lot of – I think this is an interesting draft because this is the last of the COVID guys. Right. So, Hendon Hooker, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Will Levis, all mm-hmm. of these dudes were around and got an extra year. So yep. they have a little bit more tape than everybody else does. So you hope that the guys that stayed for another year have really made that jump. Mm-hmm. I'd be curious to see what would happen if, with Hendon Hooker had he not gotten hurt. Yeah, Hendon Hooker to me is always going to be a – like he's probably the next tier guy. Like, you know, you have all those guys in tier one, CJ Stroud and Bryce Young and all them. I think he's 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 probably a tier two guy. Maybe it may be the only two tier two guy in this draft. Like everybody else, like Jake Hayner and all goons. that, or like Max Dugan. They're all goons. I'm not a Max Dugan fan. Um, I like Jake Hayner, but like he's tier three. Like he's not like tier two in my mind. Um, there's a couple guys I like, but for Hooker, the biggest problem for him is like. You're you're committing to an older dude. Like he's gonna be 26, 26 already. or twenty seven by I think the time 20, I think everything's said and done. So he's older. I think he's either around Daniel Jones's age or like a little bit younger than him. So like you're talking about a guy who like you know somebody who wasn't in who hasn't been in the league for multiple years already. Like he was like a 25 year old dude playing against 18, 19 year olds. Like how much of that was that? But like from everything I've heard, he's, he just doesn't have much developmental. Now, if he was like 21, 22, 
I think, and he didn't tear the ACL. I think he's probably going in the early first round, but like, I still think he ends up in the second. Yeah. I mean, I think everyone's kind of seen what the ceiling is going to be. And the hit rate on those guys is so low. Yeah. And, you know, I liked, I liked Hooker when he played at Virginia Tech, but I just don't think that team was built for a guy like him. Right. And I don't think they've been built for any quarterback in the last like 10 years or so. But then when you went to Tennessee, like, yeah. I think you put him in the right system that's offensively focused and mm-hmm. is willing to be a little bit more creative. He can really flourish. The question mm-hmm. is, though, is like, you know, you said it, like 26, 27 years old. Like, how much, how much time does he have left to like really show what he can do? And we've seen guys who've gotten into the league late, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. Who's the guy from Oklahoma State who went to the Browns? Brandon Whedon. He Brandon was Whedon. he was thirty. Yeah. When he entered the league. So like, yeah, for like when you think about a guy like Hooker, right? Second round pick that's a four year deal, he'll be thirty when he is in line for an extension. And it's like it's hard to like listen, if he comes in and if he's like Kurt Warner, you know, Kurt Warner was old when he came in the league. Who cares, right? But, like, at the same time, it's like, I don't know, man. Like, I, it's just not where I would want to go with, especially coming in. The ACL tear is just kind of the fucking shit sandwich, you know, on top of it. It's like. So you're not going to get him for the first year of his contract. So he'll be 28 when he touches the field. He'll be 27, 28 years old by the time he hits the field. I think a long-term backup, like, you can't do any better than him. But, like, it's second-round pick. You're not really spending it on a backup, like. You know, it's like you're hoping you get a guy that can be a starter for you. It's just, I would just rather not. Yeah. I would just rather not. He's 25 right now. He'll be 26 start of the NFL season. Uh, No, he turned 25 in January. All right. So by the end of the NFL season, he will be 26. Yeah. But he will be the first time he touches the field competitively will be when he's 26. Right. That's the thing. Like, that's the problem now is that yeah. he's got a little bit of length on him too. And it wasn't like he kind of just waited around when he was waiting around in college. Like he was playing all of that time. So he's, yeah. he's not like a guy who you draft at the age of 21 and then starts playing like starting at 26. He's been taking hits the whole time and injuries too. Yeah. And he's not a big kid either. He's like 6'1", 205. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 6'3", 217. Is he, did he measure out that big? I mean, that's what they that's what they have on here, but all these numbers can be flubbed. Hmm. <laughs> it's okay, Nasty Nate. We, we forgive you. Yeah, just um, do us a favor, send us a donation, or just send us your credit card number. Ten lashes, too. Apologize. <laughs> uh, yeah, six three two seventeen. All right, so he's bigger than I thought he was. Um, <clears throat> but after him, it drops off significantly. Like, yeah, there's, you there's... you need to get a top five guy, or you're gonna get goons. There's a couple. Like, I mean, again, like Dorian. You know, uh, we talked about uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson. I like him as a like a developmental guy. So a lot of them are really old. Like um, Lee Cunningham from Louisville, who like broke Lamar Jackson's records. He's 26. <laughs> uh, he's like 26 already. 
Um, Jake Hayner, Clayton Toon, Jaron Hall. Those are all guys that are like 24 already. So Sean Clifford from Penn State. Mm. Yeah. Um, there's Tanner McKee from Stanford. Like, I think right. we got our one generational Stanford quarterback. Yeah. And I like, I like Tanner McKee. Um, but like, he's kind of like, he's kind of a one note guy. He's like, he's not going to, he's not going to be able to run, run around and stuff. So it reminds me a lot of Kevin Hogan. Very similar. Yeah. So not nearly as big as Tanner McKee, but certainly like a guy who played well at Stanford. He's probably going to hang around in the league for a little while. And then he'll, uh, I like Jaron Hall. I like Jaron Hall a lot from BYU. But again, he's like 25 already. And it's just like he's kind of a smaller dude. It's just like there's not a lot of developmental uh, capabilities for these guys that are like so, so much older already. Like, and Stetson Bennett, and Stetson Bennett's then older than Lamar Jackson right now. I think my concern with the BYU guys is like none of them have ever translated outside of Steve Young. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, no other Texas Tech quarterbacks translated other than Pat Mahomes. So that's that's true. That's true. I just I've not, been... I'm not correlating Jaron Hall to Pat Mahomes. No, no. But I, I think like there's always been a lot of hype around BYU quarterbacks like Zach Wilson, Max yeah. Hall, uh, yeah. Jonathan Beck, and none of these guys have really like Jonathan done anything. Beck. I never understood the Jonathan Beck thing. That's he's a real heady guy, you know, a real gym rat. <laughs> sneaky fast <laughs> there's a lot more wrong with BYU than you than just that touche nasty Nate touche a lot of that soaking going on over there yeah too much soaking in that school yeah. that's the problem all those guys they get all their soaking in early and then they're just spent when they get to the league semen retention I'm telling you it's just too much Tony Robbins on that campus <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, any other thoughts on um, NFL free agency or any other gossip that you got? Nothing I can think of at the moment. I'm, I'm interested. A lot of the signings are starting to come in now. Bears are firing in all cylinders right now because they have the most cap space. They signed uh, TJ Edwards and Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds, by the way, I was very interested for him. Um, for the Giants, four years, 72 mil. Whoa. Yeah. So good just for them. Just because you have it doesn't mean you have to use it. No, and and but, uh, but he's a good guy to spend money on. I mean, he's been in the league five years. He's only twenty four years old, and uh, he's he's an ascending player. But um, yeah, it's I don't know, man. It's it's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, Giants making a couple moves right now that I like. Um, interested to see where they continue to go with this, but uh, get they finally get a good linebacker. They signed a defensive lineman too, so yeah, a couple good things here. But we'll see, man. Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo going to the Raiders, and I just saw that. Yeah, the 49ers nabbed Sam Sam Darnold, which that's all indications that the Panthers are taking a quarterback. Yeah. I'm interested to see where ba- – I thought Baker Mayfield was going to end up in San Francisco, so I'm actually kind of interested to see where he ends up going. I would imagine he sticks with the Rams because if I'm if I'm a quarterback I'm and they're unloading Matt Stafford allegedly, yeah. I want to stay there. Yeah. 
Are they really going to get rid of Matt Stafford just like that? Well, they traded Jalen Ramsey, which sounds to me like he was a pretty easy like contract to trade. <laughs> I don't think Stafford's is going to be that easy. And yeah, I don't I think they're going to get anything for him either. Like, I think it's just, I think it's going to be a salary dump and they're going to have to dump to a team that is willing to take it. I don't know how much time he has left on that contract though. I don't think it's that much uh, for Stafford. I don't think it was a big, con- I don't think it was a long contract, but yeah. Yeah. I think they're, I think they're pretty much in rebuild mode on all fronts and they're just unloading as much shit as they can at this point. Um. Okay, let's. How about we keep it a short show this time around, and we can move to assholes and picks of the week. Yeah. So, um, Q, I'm going to go ahead, and my asshole of the week is going to be um, this lovely individual who continued to clog up my Twitter feed the entire weekend, and that is. Bill Ackman, the CEO of Pershing Square, mm-hmm. um, tech bro, uh, or a, a VC bro, hedge fund guy. Of course. Um, basically, like begging and pleading for the federal government to save his ass. But he's more so my asshole of the week for two reasons. One, clearly abusing the unlimited, um, the unlimited amount of like, characters you can put in a tweet these days like yeah paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs like dog i ain't reading all that sorry it happened to you happy for you though um and secondly like the more and more i read about this meltdown with svb the more it just sounds like it's a peter teal and bill ackman like essentially like yelling fire in a movie theater and everybody running out when there's no real fire there yeah and I think like people like him, he's been connected with a number of things like various like financial meltdowns. He's been involved with um, also the GameStop thing he was involved with as well. Like he's a big shorter of stock. And I would be curious to see what his portfolio looks like after the fact when all of this is said and done. Either way, he's my asshole of the week solely because he needs to fucking go outside on the weekends. True story. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm going with the one I saw on Twitter, uh, on Twitter as well, and it's so funny because it, nothing. TikTok has just like, and like I'll, I'll admit, I'm, I, I love TikTok. It's, it's a never-ending sprawl of entertainment. There was a video that someone had kind of captured. Now, I, Tom, you were married. I am I'm currently uh, married, by the way. <laughs> currently married. <laughs> Um, I am not, so I'm still going through the whole dating thing and it sucks when it doesn't work out, especially if you like the person, but first dates are always awkward, right? Um, as you've experienced, I know exactly what you're talking about, (laughs) right? There was a TikTok that got posted of a woman who lives in New York city and basically kind of highlighting the date and why it didn't go well. Now, there can be a litany of different things that ultimately kind of cause a date to not go well, right? Like, you know, persons has no personality, can't keep the conversation going. So she goes through this whole sprawl, like she gets there, guy's nice, good looking, all that. And then all of a sudden, 
they're ordering. She orders her food. He orders a burger. He asked the waitress, oh, if I put cheese on it, is it an extra price? And the person said, yes, $3 for, for cheese. So he said, oh, no, thank you then. She then proceeded to go to the bathroom, paid the bill, and walked out. Because he he asked if there was extra cost for cheese. He didn't say like he didn't say anything extra. He he wasn't rude to the waitress or anything like that. Simply the idea of like oh paying three dollars extra for cheese was a little too much for him was enough for her to run out. It is just an insane thing to like then post and then expect that people are going to like be on your side about. But it's this is more just an indication of like the current demographics in dating that I think a lot of times these apps have become make you feel like there's so many options out there that if the person is not absolutely perfect in every single way and doesn't nail every single criteria thing, every single moment you should move on. And it's like, yeah, it I've, I've seen it firsthand with dating that it's like the smallest thing can set somebody off. And I think this is like, but also Aside from even just dating purposes, I think people are now obsessed with getting the absolute like crazy like amount of likes and hate on TikTok. Like that's what she wants. Like she wanted the attention from it all. So I'm not one of these insult guys that's like ready to like shit on women anytime, <laughs> anytime something like this comes up. But I just found that really, really funny. So no, I would agree with you. I would agree with you too. And honestly, I had an issue with it as well. And I said very much the same thing that you did. I actually had a conversation with my wife about it where I'm like, I'm bothered by the fact that this person is being judged by the fact they just didn't want to pay for cheese in today's right. economy. It's not like, even like maybe that he couldn't afford it. It was that he was like, I'm not paying $3 for a slice of cheese on the burger. Like it's stupid. Also, it's New York City. It's probably a $19 burger to begin with. Right. With no fries, or they put it in that fucking like little fry basket that's insulting to everybody. Right, exactly. And, and she's I, like, it's New York City. And you pay extra for everything. And I'm like, that's more of an issue with New York City than everything than anything else. Yeah. And I and I certainly empathize with like First dates are very, very awkward and they're very scary and they're intimidating for anybody. And to go out on a limb and try to engage in a potential relationship with somebody only to be kind of swatted down because you didn't want basically a slice of cheddar cheese that's not even cooked onto the burger. It's right. thrown on at the end. Yeah. And that's like the defining characteristic that that person's going to take away it bothers me. And, and frankly, like relationships are not about perfection. They're about like Compromise. this person has their faults and I still love them. Like, Compromise, yeah. And there is going to be times where I'm gonna be like, nah, man, I'm not going to pay like $3 for this fancy ketchup. I'm good. I don't need it. There's going to be times where that's yeah. going to happen. I think, I think the overwhelming issue is that it, it, you are led to believe that there's, um, going to be an unlimited amount of options. And then you eventually realize like, Oh, there, no, there's a, there's a limit to the amount of people. And it's like, if you shut out the good people that you met over something stupid, then it's you're you're only really doing it to yourself. So. I also want to point out too, that there was like, um, there was like a compendium, like TikTok reel that went out after that, where she was like, 
hey, I'm getting a lot of hate for this. And I know that I'm crazy. Like I have like unrealistic standards. I know that I'm crazy. Okay. And I, I think it's also incredibly dismissive to say like, I, I say that I'm crazy. Therefore I can be rude to people. Right. And I think that's a common thing that's happened more and more yeah. where people are like, Oh, I'm just crazy. Like, no, you're not. You're just an ass. Like you're just rude to people. Like, yeah. And then, in a society it, where everybody is mean to each other, mm -hmm. you don't have to be. Right. You chose it, to be. It's like trying to disarm people from hating on her. Like, no, no, this is my fault. It's not his fault. I'm I'm crazy. But it's like, no, but it's like you you know what you're doing. You don't yeah. actually think you're crazy. You're just you're just throwing that out there so people will kind of lay off of you. And it's like, you know, you don't have to be that way. Like maybe maybe like go back on a date and like she like blocked him like she paid the bill texted him and then blocked him and i was like man like that guy i mean like that guy's probably sitting there like i got a fucking free meal out of this whatever who cares you know what i'll yeah. tell you, you know what i will take the cheese now because it's only gonna be three, it's only gonna be three dollars um but it's like but i mean just, i i feel for him though like i do too yeah what is your psyche after that like i didn't order the cheese and i got my fucking like for abandoning yeah, or cheese. Yeah, for not ordering cheese on a burger, not paying extra three dollars for it. It's just it's silly. And uh I you know, yeah, like he must be going he must be kind of mentally going through it. And it's like it's really, really weird to see nowadays, but like it's just become more prominent because of I'm telling you, TikTok plays a part in it. Yeah, people want to be a part for, of it. We do shit for clout way more than we did in the past, and Yep. Honestly, it doesn't make anybody look good. It makes you look like assholes. And I appreciate yep. the people who are like, they were not mean to this person in the tweet replies. It was just like, that's not how you treat people. That's not right. like, that's not respect. And like, sit there, eat your food, fucking say thank, you know, oh, you know, whatever. And like, if he pays the bill, then like, say thank you. And like, just tell him afterwards, like, hey, I just not, I wasn't feeling it. Like, you know, like, nice to meet you. Hope, wish you luck. That sucks, but at least it's like it's honest, you know. I hope that guy cures fucking cancer. I do too. I hope he goes out and does something incredible for society. Something that like he turns into fucking John Galt or something. <laughs> Who is John Galt? All right, all right, on Ryan. All right, relax, relax, <laughs> relax, Fountainhead. Okay. Hey, me, Bill Ackman, and Elon Musk. We're all gonna go to John Galt land. You look like you're shrugging right now. Atlas shrugging. Hang on. Let me just lift this up real quick. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Okay. Do you want to do your pick of the week? Sure. Um, I saw Scream 6 last night, and it was really fucking good. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of amazed that for a franchise that's been around for so long, um to be able to kind of find still find some juice um is pretty impressive uh radio silence team they did ready get uh, ready or not the movie came out a couple years ago they did the last screen that came out <clears throat> it's kind of a continuation of that one they they found a kind of a fresh way and this one takes place in new york city which is very different than any of the other ones that have taken on um the ending left me a little kind of uh and like the the reasoning behind everything, but like the opening, like for every if you've ever seen a screen movie before, you know that the cold open is kind of the pinnacle of the movie, and it kind of sets the tone for it. 
this one was the most inventive one I've seen and really, really impressive. Um, it was just overall, it was just a fun time. And uh, I, I think I think there's a lot of meat on the bone for these movies that like they couldn't kind of continue it. Um, and this one, by the way, did not have Nev Campbell, who played the kind of final girl from the original, been in all the original ones. Um, so this is kind of the first one without her. And they were able to kind of pull it off and keep it keep it going. So I was into it. Yeah. And, that, and you have two movies that are doing that now with Creed 3 and yeah. Scream, where yeah. the main characters from the original films are no longer in these. And I'm pleasantly surprised to hear good reviews about Scream 6. And then it's gone in a direction where people are, they're not mad about it, right? Yeah. Like they're generally positive reviews. And people it has like, issues is for sure. Yeah, like all films do. Yeah, that but I they. Like, I wish they kind of didn't do certain things, and but like overall, like it was, it's just fun. Like these movies are supposed to be fun, and that's what it was. It was fun. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think this pivot is going to be successful? Does it open a new avenue of films for them, or do they kind of pigeonhole themselves where they are now? So I well the the, the last one was kind of like we're introducing these characters to kind of be a a way of breaking off of the older characters and kind of taking things into new, new heights. And they, I think they did, did that. And like to where, like if you ever seen the Friday, the 13th movie where Jason goes to Manhattan, it never felt like they were in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Like the grand scale of the city never, it never felt that big. And this one kind of does. Um, but it also plays with different, like kind of horror notes that I'm was kind of interested in the idea of like, well, what happens when, you know, the sycophants start wearing the mask around the city because they're kind of obsessed with the, you know, the way we are all kind of obsessed with like murder stuff. And the then now all of a sudden you don't, you're on a subway and you see 20 people wearing a mask and you're like, is one of these people the one that's coming after me? Or is it just some drunk dude on the subway? It plays really, really well into that mindset. And um, it does feel kind of like claustrophobic. Again, the ending was like, okay, like I wish it kind of had a, taken a different direction with that rather than what they did. But like, I, it, I don't think it ruined the overall experience for me. Awesome. Awesome. Good shit there. Um, so my pick of the week is also a fun movie over the weekend. I got to go see cocaine bear, yes. baby. Yes. That was a wild fucking ride, dude. That movie was nuts and the funny thing about it was it was funny and wildly graphic and a ton of jump scares to it that's awesome so i i think that they really nailed it and i think the one critique that i'd have of that movie is they introduced a lot of characters over the series of the movie which made it a little bit harder to follow but all that to be said, there were some really nice, like scary moments in it. There were some really funny moments in it. Um, Ice Cube's son is in it, who's also really funny. Mm -hmm. And they just had a nice ensemble of folks. I think Elizabeth Banks did a really good job in this one. I had not seen a ton of her movies that she directed. And I know that people had a lot of criticism of the movies that she's done in the past. But this one was good. I really enjoyed it. Elizabeth Banks directed that? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. I had no clue. 
Wow. Learn something new every day. It is just fun. Like, and it's funny to watch it and laugh and be scared at the same time while in the back of my mind, having that Josh Fox tweet about like being really upset that bears are like going to be hunted now because there's a movie that came out called cocaine bear. (laughs) All that to be said, like, like, Certainly go to the theater and watch it. It's definitely a funnier movie and scarier movie with other people around you. But when it comes out, do yourself a favor, throw it in, drink some beer, bring some of your friends over. It's definitely a community movie and I'd recommend it. It's definitely on my list. I have to go see it. It's a fucking bear that does cocaine and then attacks people. Like what more could you want? Yeah. I I mean, I, I think people are like, Oh, it's just a sharknado. It's like, no, it's just like, Good production value. Like there's some good talented like performers and artists in this and actors. It looks like it had a fifty million dollar budget. Sharknado did not have a fifty million dollar budget. I can promise you that. Yeah, and I think they've already they've already hit that threshold. And the reviews are good. People like it. It's again, it's entertainment. It's not going to win an Academy Award. It's a bear went doing cocaine. Yeah, it's a bear that's fucking doing lines in Georgia. Eating people. I'm in. Just enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, uh, Q, you got anything else for us? I'm good, man. All right. Well, that does it for another episode of the Second Mouse Podcast. Thank you all who jumped on and and listened and watched us on YouTube and on Twitch. We're sending a um, a shout out to Gatto, who is currently, again, negotiating the breakup of the Silicon Valley Bank, um, doing the Lord's work out there. He passed up his Medal of Honor that he was going to get. Also in D.C., he said, no, I have to go do I have to go work for America. But we'll be back next week. You can do us a favor and jump on to our social media platforms with Instagram and Twitter and give us a like and a follow. You can also find us on YouTube and Twitch. Do us a favor and subscribe there. Let us know what you think about the show. If you hate it, tell us. If you like it, tell us. If you love it, tell us. If you're willing to pay for it, just send us money. But also, if you want to continue the conversation during the week, you can jump on our Discord channels. We have a bunch of different topics of conversation in there. We're always in there yucking it up and doing stupid shit. Let us know what you think. That's it for us. We will see you all next week, folks. Peace. Okay, let's give me a rhythm. Follow me. We are, we are Walmart. And then he says, and I'm not kidding you, he goes, now clap. Please clap. Just clap for that, you stupid bastard. I need applause to live. Jokey. Joke maker. Ha! Suck it, Jack Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs>